pray. Father, as we open your word, we ask for our hearts to be open to your spirit. Lord, that whatever it is that is going on in our lives, we would allow um, you to move and to work um, to challenge us uh, where it is that we need to be challenged, but also to encourage us where maybe we need our spirits lifted. Lord, we ask that we would just be submissive, surrendering to you as we hear from your word. Help us to live kingdom first life. I am really, really tired of spam. Anybody get spam in your email? If you don't, please tell me what you're doing because I'm getting it all the time. Uh, Spam is... Um, unsolicited attempts to get me to do something that I'm not looking to do, to join this, to buy that, um, to be a part of this, uh, to track what I'm doing. There are, as of 2016, approximately 500 billion emails sent daily around the world. 400 billion of them are spam. I mean, just, you know, let that sink in. The numbers of emails that are, they're spam. They are like, you did not ask for this. They're trying to get you, and they're trying to give you something you probably don't even want. Now, I look at mine and I get, I don't know, maybe 15 to 20 of these a day, Um, and sometimes I get very frustrated, and so then I'll just grab my wife's phone, because she gets like 50. Yeah, I feel better now. You get 50. And if that doesn't work for me, then I do what I did this morning, and I say, hey, uh, Trey, can I just look at your email list for a moment? You know the little thing that tells you how many emails you have on your icon? Trey's this morning was (laughs) 16,894. Then I feel really good about the spam that I get, because most of that is spam. Why do I talk about spam? It is those messages that most of us don't really want. They're trying to make us do something that probably isn't even good for us, and yet, I think what you see throughout the Gospels are the Pharisees responding to spam instead of to the messages of God. That God is giving them actual messages, and instead of responding to those, they're sending those to their junk file, and they're turning to the spam of the world, of the devil, of the flesh, of the tradition, of whatever it is they want to hold on to, they want to keep. And they're listening to those messages while rejecting the messengers that God is sending them. And this morning, my one question for us is, are we doing the same thing? Open your Bible, if you would, to Luke chapter 13. We're continuing this same chapter we've been in the last couple of weeks, bringing it to a close today. 
Luke chapter 13, we're beginning in verse 31. Luke 13, 31, at that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And I want to spend some time on that one verse. There's a lot that is missing from that verse. Here's what Luke doesn't tell us. What are the motivations of the Pharisees? Is this a legitimate concern on their part, or is it not? Is Herod really after Jesus, or is he not? We don't get any of this information. All we get are the Pharisees coming to Jesus, and it says, at that hour, which is important because the passage before this is what it's connected to. And the passage before this, Jesus, as we studied last week, he is warning the people that they are in danger. They are in danger of missing the kingdom. And especially he is warning the religious leaders. As he says at the end of the passage, the first will be last and the last will be first. The first in that context, they are the religious leaders. So there is a warning that Jesus just gave, a very severe warning, where he calls them out and says, you're missing entrance to the kingdom. At that same hour, some Pharisees come to him and give a warning. Now, it's indefinite. It just says some Pharisees. Doesn't tell us how many. Doesn't tell us where they came from. Doesn't tell us what they were doing. They just come. And they warn Jesus that Herod wants to kill him. And in Greek, it is present tense. And it should come across like this. We're telling you that right now, Herod's after you. He is seeking to kill you presently. Right? This is like a, there's some urgency to the warning. And they say, you need to get away from here. And again, I want to go into the Greek because in English, this is very redundant. And so it is, and there's no translation that has this. There are two words that they use. It is get away, which is what most of the translations stick with. And then there's the second one. And keep leaving from here. Keep going, get out, walk, and just don't turn back, is what they're saying to him. Now, my question is, is this a legitimate concern, or is this a ruse? Are they legitimately concerned for the welfare of Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth, or is this subterfuge? Is this like we're trying to get rid of him another way? Here's how I answer the question. A little bit of background. Here's what we know about the Pharisees from the Gospel of Luke. They are trying to get Jesus. We know they are trying to disprove him. They are trying to catch him. They are trying to, Luke uses the word to basically to deal with Jesus. Um, Mark and Matthew both talk about killing him. We know they are after him. We know that they have rejected much of the message that he's given. Hey, he has talked about Sabbath. He has talked about ritual washings. He has talked about table fellowship. They've rejected all of the things that he has said about that. And we know that Jesus has called them hypocrites. We know that he's made woe statements about them. Have you ever had a woe statement made about you? 
That's serious. I'm pretty sure Chris McCampbell's had a few. <laughs> Woe to you. Right. This is not a good relationship between Jesus and the Pharisees. And we also know this about Herod. We know that at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, Luke describes Herod as somebody who has done evil. We know that he has killed John the Baptist, the prophet who was announcing Jesus. But we also know that he didn't really want to kill John the Baptist. And we know this in Luke's Gospel. When Herod gets the opportunity to kill Jesus, he does not do it. He mocks him, he abuses him, he says, you're innocent, and he sends him off to Pilate. I would argue that what Luke has shown us of the Pharisees and of Herod and of the relationship between Jesus and the Pharisees, that what they are doing right now is a ruse. They are not looking out for the benefit of Jesus. They are not coming and going, we just got inside information, Jesus. Herod is after you right now. You need to get out of here quickly. Come on, just don't even pack. Just go. He is after you. I believe they are using a scare tactic, a very legitimate one, by the way. Herod did kill John the Baptist. There's reason to believe he could come after you too. A very legitimate scare tactic to get the messenger of God out. And it will lead Jesus in verse 34 of our passage that we'll come to in a few minutes. It will lead Jesus to describe Jerusalem as the place that kills the messengers of God. Because this whole passage is dealing with one main idea. How do you respond to the messengers of God? Do you take it as spam and just send them off to the junk pile? Or do you legitimately respond? The Pharisees have shown already they are not responding to the messenger of God, who in this case is Christ. They are rejecting what the messenger of God is bringing to them, turning away from it, doing their own thing, doing whatever it takes to keep their same attitudes and their same actions, their same motivations, their same position in life, they do not want to change based upon what Jesus, as the messenger of God, is revealing to them. Jesus comes and says, here is what God wants. Here is what God is about. And you have religious leaders who are saying, no, I do not want that. And they're in a long line of religious leaders who have said this. If you go back into the Old Testament... The regular response to the prophets, the messengers of God, that God sends to the people is to ignore them, to abuse them, to kill them. That's the regular response, which is why Jesus, again, in verse 34, is going to say, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the place that kills the prophets. Because that, that's what they've done. That's their history. That's how they respond when God sends the messengers and those messengers are saying, and hear this, your life is not matching what God wants for your life. You have one of two responses. That's one more thing 
of spam to stick over here in the junk that I don't need to worry about, and I'll keep just going the way I'm going. And that's exactly what the religious leaders are doing. Or to go, this is the real message for my life, and I want to respond to it. I read one commentator who, in talking about this passage, he was saying that the world doesn't respond to the messengers of God. And, and that's true. I mean, except this passage isn't about the world. This passage is about Jerusalem. This passage is about the people of God. This passage is about us and our response to God's messengers. Right, here is where it gets a little hard. And this is where my intention is not to hurt anybody. It's not to cause guilt. It's not to make you feel awful. It's not to make you um, doubt yourself. Um, it maybe is to disturb your complacency as well as mine. It is to make you wake up and go, no, wait a minute. Am I really listening to the messengers of God? Or have I found a way to just live my life any way I want and yet think that I'm really listening to the messengers of God. I want to get really honest. I was at a park with my kids yesterday and I overheard these two little girls and they were about the same age as my six-year-old and they just met at the park based on their conversation and one little girl said to the other girl, this is where I came in on the conversation because I'm watching my kids and they were like, man, you wanna go to a place that's full? Wait till it's 70 degrees for the first time in a while and go to a park. There's like 10,000 little kids running around at this park. And these two little girls are talking, and one goes, now, go tell your parents. Go find them and tell them. And the other kid goes, I don't have any parents. And the other little girl said something that, as adults, we would just never say this. We would not say it this way. We'd be really careful. We'd couch it. We'd, we'd, we'd find some way to, she goes, well, I mean, did they die? <laughs> very matter of fact. Very, oh, no, no, they didn't die. They're just on vacation. Okay, well, let's go find the person you're with. And they're gone. But that's not us. Like, we, we couch everything. You know, like, somebody walks up and says, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. We would never say, I am totally ticked off at you. Like, I don't like you right now. But we don't say that. We find some way to smile nicely and move on with our lives. Like, we are not great at being honest. But the problem is, I don't know that we're great with being honest with ourselves. I'm asking you right now, and I'm asking me to look in the mirror and to be really honest with what I'm about to say. Uh, assuming I can you know, actually get to it and say it. All right. According to God's messenger, Paul of Tarsus, People are to bless anyone who persecutes them. That's not my personal experience, and it's not my experience with most of God's people. We don't bless those who persecute us. That same messenger said, God's people are to do all things without grumbling. I'm not sure I've ever witnessed that. God's messenger, Peter, 
says to be holy in all your conduct. And part of that holiness is to put away malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, and never repay evil with evil. Paul, God's messenger John says, do not love the things of the world. God's messenger James says to count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds. And God's people must do God's word, not just hear God's word. God's messenger Jesus, his son, says, do not retaliate against people, but love your enemies. He says, store up treasure in heaven, not on earth. He says, seek the kingdom first instead of being anxious about earthly things. I'm asking you here and now in this moment, how are you responding to the messengers of God? Because I can say that in probably most of my life, most of this isn't true. Like I have taken these things and I've just dropped them in my spam folder. I give lip service to them. I'm not bad at that. I'm not bad at basically going, oh, that sounds great. I'm not bad about telling somebody else, you know, when you're going through this trial, you should be rejoicing. Dang it, I hate my trials. I'm not too bad at noticing in another person's life how the messengers of God should be listened to. But what about me? What about you? What if you took this seriously? What if you actually, and here's one way you can take it seriously. Let me ask you, please don't raise your hand, but very honestly, are you even reading the messengers of God? And I know what the answer is for many people in the church. The only time we hear the Bible is when we're in church. But the Bible's not just a bunch of words. These are the words of the messengers of God to God's people, teaching us the life that God is asking us to live. Are you reading the messengers of God? to even know how to live? Or is it one of those things where you're essentially, aw, bless you, Lord. Those are neat words. Bless your heart. I like those. But I'm gonna go keep living the way I wanna live. Because that's what the religious leaders are doing. They're living the way they want to live. And I'm not saying it's all bad, by the way. Not saying they're doing all bad things, and I'm not saying that about anybody here. Even if you are doing it, I guarantee I know you're doing some good things in your life. I know there are ways that we're all trying to live for God. My question is, is it one little slice of your life and the whole rest of what God says, you just give it lip service? You're not really trying to conform your life to it. Because if you did, ooh, would we have to sacrifice some things? We'd have to sacrifice some pride. We'd have to maybe sacrifice some happiness. Might have to sacrifice some revenge or desire for it. I mean, there's a lot of things we'd have to give up if we actually went, okay, so the messengers of God are telling me this. I actually want to live that way. 
do you want to live that way? Because what the rest of this passage does is it tells us the results of not responding to the messengers of God. So look with me if you would. Here's the results. The first is what it won't do. If we do not respond to the messengers of God, here's what will not happen. God will not change what he's doing. You cannot force God to do things differently just because you don't like what he wants you to do. And I guarantee we're doing it all the time. We are wondering why it is, all of us at times, we are wondering why it is that God isn't doing all of these things in our lives. Well, are we actually trying to live for him? Or are we just living our own way and then expecting God to just bless us, doing it our own way? Here's Jesus' response. And he said to them, go. And this is really important because that word I told you that they don't translate in Greek, this is that same word. Where the Pharisees come to Jesus and say, just keep leaving from here. Jesus turns around and says, no, you leave. You leave and go to him. Go tell that fox. Fox here can be either an animal that describes destruction, which would describe some of the things that Herod did, or it describes deceit, which could describe what the Pharisees are doing right now. Go tell that fox, behold, I am, and this is also present tense in Greek, I am casting out demons. I am finishing cures. I am doing the work of God right now. And the kingdom is triumphing. Demons are being cast out. People are being healed. Today and tomorrow and the third day, I finish my course. And likely that is symbolic and in two ways. One is just to say, I'm not stopping. Today, tomorrow, I'm going to keep going until I'm done. I will not stop because of any fear that you try and put on me. And then two, there's maybe a reference to three days. Because you do have this idea of finishing my course, and ultimately he's going to finish his course when he is raised from the dead. And so that also may be in here as a symbolic reference. Nevertheless... Nevertheless, this is really a significant little moment here because Jesus basically just said to them, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not afraid. I'm, on, I'm doing God's work, and that's not changing. Even if my life is threatening, I, is threatened, I'm going to keep doing God's work. That doesn't change anything for me. But then he's going to say, but I am going to leave. That's what his next one is. Nevertheless, basically, I am going to leave. Um, but he's going to give a reason, and the reason is not because I'm afraid. I'm not, in fact, I'm not going where you want me to go. You want me just to get out of here. Probably the whole point of your question is just get me out of here. No, I'm actually going where you don't want me to go. I'm going to go right into the heart of Jerusalem. You want me gone? Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Because that's what happens to the messengers of God when they come to God's people. They perish. How awful is that? I mean, just, just think about that. 
God's people, God sends them people to give them directions and guidance, to encourage them, to show them the light, and they turn on them, which is what leads to verse 34. So here's what won't happen. You can reject all you want the messengers of God. It's not going to change what God is doing. God's not going to suddenly alter his program and go, okay, well, I guess that was too hard. Um, I guess I'll try something different. Yeah, no, I understand your excuses. That makes total sense to me. Let's go about this a different way. That is never going to happen. God's going to keep doing his work. God's going to keep doing his plan. Here's what does happen. Verse 34. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. Let me tell you what does happen. We hurt the heart of God. This is painful, what he's saying. This is not an attack. He says Jerusalem, and then it's like it triggers, and he goes, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And he gives them a label, and it's a terrible label. I mean, the label, if you go in the Old Testament, you know what the label is? City of God. You know what the label is? The place where God dwells. You know what the label is? The place where the nations can come to the Lord. It's this beautiful place where you rejoice and you are protected. It is safe. Go read the Psalms about Jerusalem. And yet the label that Jesus sticks on it is the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. What an awful label to put on God's city. The total reverse. And you can see the broken heart of Jesus as he says, how often I wanted to gather you. And notice that the thing, up, ahead, up before this, he called him a fox. Now he says, I wanted to gather you as a hen would gather her brood. I wanted to protect you. I wanted to keep you safe. But you won't listen. You won't do the things I'm telling you to do. You won't follow. You won't trust me. You won't step out and do some of those challenging, hard things that are against what you're feeling and what you want. Instead, you're going to justify where you are right now and just keep going down that path. I want you to come to me. I want to protect you. I want to love you. I want to gather you in as my people. You just want to go your own way. You just want to keep following your own path. You don't want to strive to go through the narrow door that I just warned you you're missing. In verse 35, the saddest of all, behold, your house is forsaken. And once again, present tense. This is a continual state right now for them. Behold, your house is forsaken you. Um, this is a turning point in the whole ministry. It's like a hinge. Jesus has come into the people of God and he's presented the truth of the kingdom. And right here he says, this is it. Your house is being judged. You've rejected over and over and over again. You want to just keep going down your own path. You want to give lip service to Yahweh and pretend like you're following, but you're not. 
if you look at the messengers that God has sent and you look at the messages that they have proclaimed, your life does not parallel that. But you won't look and you won't change and you won't listen. And so your house is forsaken until, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You see, what they're saying right now is cursed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You are not from God. You are, in fact, they'll say of Jesus, you're from the devil. We are rejecting you, and we're going this way. And Jesus says, you have been abandoned now because you have abandoned God. And until you will say, blessed is the messenger, until you will embrace the message, I'm done. I'm stepping away. I'm moving on. That is a hard message. But let me see if I can give you a final illustration to show you what is going on. Last year, at this time, my daughter and her DI team, Destination Imagination, they competed in the regional championships. And leading up to the regional championships, it was challenging, very challenging. Uh, my wife was the coach, and for, I don't know, a couple months, we can't park in the garage because their stuff is strewn all over the garage. Uh, my wife is taking every Saturday for hours and working with kids. She's kind of frustrated. I mean, they're young kids, so they're out of control sometimes. They're not accomplishing as much as they need to accomplish. Um, it's very challenging, it's very frustrating, and it's, it's weeks and weeks and weeks of this. And by the time you get to the actual competition, the only thing you want is for them to lose. <laughs> because if they win, they go on to state, and it's more weeks of the same thing. And guess what happened last year? They won. Guess what happened this year? They took first place. <laughs> they didn't win. They like blew everybody out of the water, and they are moving on to state. And you know when state is? Palm Sunday. It's that weekend in Lubbock. So now I can't park in my garage for many more weeks, and my wife is gone on the weekends. And it, oh, At the same time, I will say this. I am so proud of them. I mean, they worked really, really hot. Well, at times, they worked really, really hard. Sometimes it was like they just fed a bunch of sugar, and they were bouncing around our garage. But they worked really, really hard to win this. But there's something about winning in DI. And it may be... You really have two components. Number one is imagination. It's called destination imagination. However, all the imagination in the world doesn't matter if you don't do one thing. You have to follow the rules. They are so vital. One of the big rules is this has to be done completely by kids. Parents cannot help. Everything has to be done by the kids. And when you see the final product, if you don't know any of the background, you'll look at it and you'll go, oh, that was pretty good. 
But you also may be thinking to yourself, you know, I mean, there, this maybe could have done better, or maybe that could have been done better. Because what you're thinking is along the lines of what parents always do. We help our kids. Sometimes we do our kids' project for them. And it turns out amazing, because I'm an engineer with a PhD, and I just built your volcano for you. But in destination imagination, that will get you disqualified. Because here's what happens. You do your whole show, and then afterwards, the judges come to you. Not to you as the parent. They come to the kids, and they start asking questions. So tell me about this. So how did you do this? You know, what was going on right here? And as the kids are answering the questions, you can just hear it in them. Well, when my mom built my gun for me, wait, your mom did? I mean, wait, uh, um, when she held it and... And you've got people that are getting disqualified, not because they didn't do a good job, because they didn't follow the rules. And in fact, following the rules is actually more important than doing a good job, because the best job still will not win if it doesn't go with the rules. Because here's the thing, actually doing it the way you're supposed to do it, that is the competition. That's what you're striving for is doing it the way you're supposed to do it. And it's amazing what the kids can get out of it. The sense of pride. I mean, do you know how big it is when you did all of it and you get to the end and you're like, we did that. Like not mom did half of it and I did the other half. We did all of it. And you go through that process of working together and struggling together and that's actually the process that is the kingdom. I am not up here to tell you you have to be perfect. And in fact, I'm not even telling you that if you're not perfect, you can't get into the kingdom. I'm telling you how to live in the kingdom. I am telling you this right here as one example. You and I are called to bless those who persecute us, who persecute us. We are called to that actually be in our heads to actually want to do that, to actually recognize that that is what God has called me to, and to do my absolute best to do it, even if I fail. Even if the, ble the best I can do is go, I, I won't attack you right now because your hair looks good. That's all I can do. But that is better than I think most of us do which is, let me go find somebody to complain about this person over here until I can get back at him. We are called to follow the rules to the best that we can because that's kingdom citizenship. That's actually what the kingdom is doing. And if we're not doing those things, we're not living out the kingdom. If that's not the path we're at least trying to get on, because here's what I can say about the first place winners. I do think they did a good job. Like, I watched all the stuff they did. But I can tell you they had a number of mistakes. They had a number of things that didn't go the way I guarantee even the kids wanted it to go. But what they did do is they worked according to the parameters that they were supposed to work in. And within those parameters, they found an amazing amount of success, even when they screwed up. Brothers and sisters, we're called to live as kingdom citizens, taking the messengers of God seriously. And when we don't, 
we lose it all, right? We can screw up all we want when we're actually trying to walk the path. But when we're not even trying to walk the path, what are you expecting from God? When you reject his way of life, what are you expecting from him? To God, life is not going to go the way God wants it to go. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son, that he would come and he would tell us who you are. He would show us who you are. Um, He would give us how to live in your kingdom as your citizens and as your children. Lord, please help us to take an honest look at our lives and the way that we're responding to your messengers. We ask this in Christ's name.